just what's happening in Washington. We sure want to know about that. And we get some insight on a new program that could add bucks to your bottom line. Welcome to Around Farm Progress, a weekly podcast that looks at agriculture issues across the country. I'm Willie Vogt, your host and editorial director for Farm Progress. Jackie Fatka lives and breathes ag policy, constantly watching what's happening in Washington, D.C., and she works to keep farmers informed. She's our policy editor here at Farm Progress, and we count on her to follow all that's going on in D.C. This week, we're catching up with her on some hot topics she's been following from that new infrastructure bill to early talk about the next farm bill. And there's a new business opportunity that will be available to farmers, U.S. Identity Preserved. It's a trademark, it's a traceability program, it's a system that will link farmer to processor to consumer with a premium available across the supply chain. We caught up with Eric Winberg, Executive Director of the Specialty Soya and Grains Alliance, creator of the program, to learn more. But first, let's dig into some hot topics from Washington with Jackie Fatka. Jackie, welcome to Around Farm Progress. Great being with you here today, Willie. Yeah, it's uh, so busy. You know, there's there's never a dull moment, it seems, with what's going on on Capitol Hill these days. Yeah, and I think they're trying to wrap up a bunch of stuff before they go on vacation for the holidays, as usual. But I guess the big news to start us off today is the fact that we actually did get an infrastructure bill passed. We, we did get an infrastructure bill. I think there's been a lot of talk about this infrastructure bill for really almost the entire year. You know, this came out earlier this spring. There's been a lot of work uh, trying to get this across the finish line. They are able to tout that it is a bipartisan infrastructure bill. We saw quite a bit of work with Republicans and Democrats in the Senate to to reach the the actual bill details that passed earlier this year in August out of the Senate, but it, it didn't come up in the House until just a couple of weeks ago in, in November, middle of November. And a lot of that is is a lot of jockeying and positioning on how it would proceed. Was it going to have to go in tandem with the Democrats' other big wish list, which comes in their reconciliation bill, which is now being coined the, the Build Back better plan. And so, yeah, some good things for agriculture, hopefully, will come out of the passage of that infrastructure bill. Can you identify a couple of things that farmers should keep their eye on for infrastructure? You know, I think some of the big top line items, uh, $17 billion for ports and waterways, a big, big important issue for farmers and being able to get their products uh, across, across the ocean or across the country. And uh, another big thing is actually $110 billion in roads and bridges with $40 billion of the, that specified for bridge repair or replacement. And I think every farmer can probably relate to a bridge that's been out or they've had to drive that extra five miles around. So hopefully some of that money will go. There is some language in there that will require that it goes to some of these smaller bridges as well. So not just all the big bridges, but hopefully we'll see some things in the rural rural side that will actually find some benefits there. Uh, And then another big thing is also the money for broadband. So $65 billion total for broadband and $2 billion is specified for rural areas. So we could see even more than the 2 billion, uh, but they do actually have a carve out for the the rural areas areas specifically. So we're hoping, you know, with broadband, obviously every farmer knows too the importance of being able to be connected. And we we heard a lot about making sure that that is across the board where everybody can benefit from internet access. 
Yeah, I think that'll be fantastic. It's just how they define that. And they're working on better maps for that too. And Connect Americans now have been pretty happy with some of the numbers they've seen. That's a that's a commodity group, a group that's come together to support that. So um, I won't use the phrase. We got a continuing resolution passed last night, I think, late, right? So we're going to keep the doors open. We're going to keep the doors open. Yeah, you know, so what happened this fall is a lot of focus was put on this infrastructure bill and the Build Back Better. And so somehow we didn't realize that the government still needed to be funded. And um, the the fiscal year usually runs up until September 30th. So they, as they were really in the weeds working on that, they, they passed a continuing resolution in September to get us to December 3rd, which is today when we're talking. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, Congress did, both the Senate and the House did pass a, another continuing resolution on uh, December 2nd, which actually will take them through February 18th. So they've got a few more months. Let's hope they don't, quote, kick the can like they continue to do. We've seen a lot of continuing resolutions in the recent years. And, uh, you know, one thing with continuing resolutions is or we end up having an omnibus or both. So, you know, the continuing resolution basically will fund at the previous year's level. And then, you know, sometimes they'll add a little something else to it, but they can't add total overhaul changes to that budget. So there is a lot to be said about having an actual budget that addresses the issues at hand and not just another continuing resolution. So, um, but but the House and the Senate are both behind on their appropriations work. They haven't, they have not tackled individual bills. So, you know, the appropriations for agriculture specifically. And then they also end up putting it all in an omnibus, which means they lump it all together to have one vote. So instead of just voting up and down on the actual agri-appropriations bill, you end up putting ag with health and defense. Defense is usually by itself, but you would see some of those different committees lump all of their funding together in an omnibus bill. Oh, it's always fun, isn't it? <laughs> and then and Build Back Better plays into this a little bit too, right? Because that that would be a continuing resolution, wouldn't it? It would not be a uh, an actual bill. Isn't that what I'm understanding? No, no. The Build yeah. Back Better is yeah. something called reconciliation, uh, that's which is, is another yes. fun word that we have been hearing a lot about, but a lot of people might not know about. So a reconciliation bill is basically allows for a a majority, a simple majority vote. So rather than the Senate requiring that 60 votes needed to pass as they do most things, one time a year, you technically can allow for what they use the budget reconciliation. So anything that could, it has to be related to the budget, which, you know, that's kind of a whole nother rabbit trail when it comes to some of the provisions in the Build Back Better of whether it's revenue impacting so that it could be in the budget. Uh, So when we see some of the reforms that they're trying to push through on the immigration front, some of those are not budget related. So the Senate parliamentarian has the ability to to scrub those out, as they call it. Mm -hmm. Um, So the budget reconciliation is different than your annual appropriations. So a CR, a continuing resolution, would be just for your government funding. The budget reconciliation process allows for a simple majority vote which in this case would allow only Democrats to proceed. Interesting thing this year, because there was a continuing resolution last year, 
from the 2020 year that they didn't deal with until technically 2021, earlier this February. That's why they could see two budget reconciliation bills in 2021 because of the fact that their work, their appropriations work didn't get done in 2020. They rolled it through. So the, the, the Democrats have already used this budget reconciliation simple majority when they passed that COVID package earlier this year, the mm -hmm. CARES package, which did not have any Republican support, unlike the other COVID packages that we saw with bipartisan support in 2020. Hmm. Whatever, anything to get around the uh, <laughs> filibuster and the 60%, 67% and all that. All, always a game someone's trying to play, isn't it? Always the game that someone's trying to play. Yep. So there was a hearing at the White House this week. Um, was that about food safety? What was that about? So uh, Monday this week, uh, the president held a roundtable with several CEOs, including several CEOs from grocery stores. So you had some of your leading grocery stores, including Kroger, Walmart, as well as uh, representatives from the independent grocers to talk about that issue of food supply chains and food making sure chain. that we have enough food on the shelf and being able to kind of manage some of those issues that are going on in the food supply chain. Um, obviously, we just came out of Thanksgiving, so that roundtable was held the Monday after Thanksgiving and and just making sure that, and, and the president was trying to hear from those CEOs on some of the things that they did to make sure that they had all those products on the shelves, if they've had those issues where certain supply chains have been um you know, not able to get the products or you don't have the workers or the laborers. Um, and so, you know, nothing big came out of that meeting, but I think it's important to 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 note that the president is is trying to hear from those in the industry. And I think uh, this is a, another opportunity to highlight some of the, the issues that are going on in something that I think everyone in America really kind of tries to take a lot of pride in. You know, we always have enough food on the shelves and we've seen some serious uh, issues, obviously, at the beginning of the pandemic. But some of those things are, are reoccurring and and trying to make sure that we do have uh, the system in place to make sure that we have the ability to still have shelves that have what consumers want. It's a challenge because um, they're they're fighting this, but the other side of it is you get news like right before Thanksgiving, Publix, which is a major Southern food chain, was limiting uh, what you could buy two items of anything, mm -hmm. and 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 depending on what those items were, part of that creates a little bit of panic on the back end, um, you know, or on the front end, I guess, with the consumers saying, oh, if they're limiting it, I got to be careful, I got to go get some. Uh, the other side, though, on the back end, they're just trying to let things catch up. Because mm -hmm. of the demand and supply ch challenges we're having. And it's like, sometimes I cringe when I see only see it as a crawl with no no context. Publix is limiting purchases of food or Costco is limiting everybody to X amount of toilet paper. And I'm like, the minute you see that, you're like, oh, boy, here we go again. And 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 so you panic and say, well, how much toilet paper do we have in the house? Are we good? So, you know, <laughs> well, it's kind of funny. It, it, uh, you would think that after almost two years that we would be over that, right? And yeah, the Costco toilet paper, I don't know how many times I went to Costco this fall and they, and they weren't there. So I, I spartaned up. If you go midweek, uh, sometimes <laughs> they have them. But, you know, they had that sign that said no, you know, no more than two. And of course, that person in front of or I think one at Costco and that person in front of me had two. that same mentality of, oh, gosh, if this is coming again, we need to prepare. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, there's there's a lot of 
we we still are eating more at home and so there is increased demand for for food um and obviously in the holidays uh they are trying to make note of that too but we we have come through a different era and so there's still going to be some hiccups i think um so yeah we'll see we'll see where this goes and and that rolls into the trucking industry and and getting enough products across the country you know the port container situation and a lot of our ports is is something that is drawing some attention and um you know this is going to take a lot from both the private and government working together to to find some solutions that actually work we are definitely living in a very different time we're going to look back on this in a few years and just tell stories about it um because we know we'll get through it but it's just how we get there is always interesting so I hesitate to bring this up because I know what this really means. We are starting down another road, even as we're still working on our continuing resolutions and all the other games that are being played. Uh, we have a farm bill coming up in 2023. And uh, recently you wrote about something um, on the dairy side that might be the prelude to some of this, right? Yeah, so I, it, it is always uh, hard to step out and say, oh, the next farm bill is, is going to be here soon because the farm bill is is usually passed every five years and renewed. And so we did get a 2018 farm bill, but it took six years to write. So we will presume that we're gonna head into 2022 with um, some of that groundwork done on the 2023 farm bill. Um, and, and a lot of this is gonna change possibly depending on who comes in during, the, if we have a switch in the midterm elections in 2022. Um, if we do see uh, the House flip to Republicans, I think that that's going to be a, a very different dynamic and spending dynamic that that could come within the farm bill. And especially after all this money we're spending now, you know, three years from now, two years from now, what does that mean for farm bill spending? So, you know, a big piece of the farm bill is is always dairy policy. And I think the dairy policy is so convoluted in the fact that we've got very different regions across the country that have very different dynamics of being profitable in the dairy industry. And so I think every farm bill tries to solve all the problems of dairy and sometimes creates more problems. And that's really what happened in the 2018 farm bill was that a change to the federal mark milking the federal milk marketing order actually created billions of losses for farmers and so now they're trying to figure out how how to change that and this week uh, senator Kristen gillibrand along with uh leahy and it is a bipartisan bill mm -hmm. so they are hoping to to kind of lay the groundwork for some of the farm bill discussion in the dairy they would call the the legislation actually requires USDA to hold a, a hearing on the federal mark milk the FMMO we'll just put that <laughs> it's not as much of a mouthful um, and and being able to really hear from producers and there was a hearing earlier this fall that that did hear from producers on Capitol Hill but this is actually requiring that USDA would go out hear from producers research some proposals and I think this is just the beginning of what we're going to see with the farm bill and i think another huge part of the farm bill is going to be conservation funding yeah. and you know this goes back to if we get the build back better plan there is almost 28 29 billion dollars for conservation programs so a huge increase in farm bill type 
programs, but it's not within the farm bill, right? So does that actually add uh, increased boost to to maybe boost the the conservation baseline as we head forward and less payments for ARC and PLC and paying more for your EQIP or other conservation programs? That's that's something that we're gonna see talked about and obviously we're going to hear a lot more about as we head into 2022 and into the writing of that next farm bill. Interesting and I think when you talk about the federal milk marketing order um, it needs to be pandemic independent because the baseline of cheese being the the price determinator for fluid milk bit us in the behind when it turned out we had to turn a lot of milk into cheese because of the pandemic. And I'm hoping that they disconnect that somehow. I mean, I don't know the best approach. I am no dairy policy expert. Actually, no one is. That's a, <laughs> That's been proven in the latest farm bill. But I think that this is a good first step is to really get this research because there's some excellent economic staff at USDA that could go out and talk to farmers and really get an understanding of ways to do this differently. Absolutely. And, you know, I think that's always um, always the hope, right? And and I always say too, policy is one of those things that sometimes when it's done in a way to meet a budget line or meet a deadline, then sometimes you don't take as much time to really hear and explore what's really best policy. Um, and so, you know, this this maybe is a, a shining light, right? Like let's mm-hmm. let's actually get some good insight before we really get into the weeds on this and hopefully come up with a better approach to fix some of the problems that we've seen over the last decade. Well, the two senators that are driving this forward are known for their dairy ex- their dairy interest and dairy expertise, Leahy and Gillibrand. So that's good that they've started that process. Jackie, good to talk to you. Obviously, the farm bill will be slowly moving to top of mind here in the next few months, and we'll be keep we'll keep up with you on that. Good to talk to you today. Thanks very much. Thanks so much, Willie. Great talking with you. It's always interesting to talk with Jackie about the many areas she covers as policy editor. Her work helps keep us updated, and I think her teachable moment about the difference between a continuing resolution and budget reconciliation was most helpful, at least for me. And of course, we'll be working with her as the next farm bill comes into focus. Now we turn our attention to a new market opportunity for farmers, or rather a long-standing opportunity that is coming into focus in a new way. The world of identity preservation is not new, but the U.S. is not maximizing its ability to move beyond being a commodity supplier. That's about to change with the creation of U.S. Identity Preserved, a traceability program that allows processors to meet customer needs with quality products verified by a third party. Eric Wenberg, Executive Director of the Specialty Soya and Grains Alliance, tells us more about the program. Note, we did catch up with him during the launch event this week for U.S. Identity Preserved, where a vibrant crowd was on hand, and that's what you can hear in the background. But let's learn more about this program. So, Erica, uh, welcome to Around Farm Progress. Tell me a little bit. Now, we're at the event. We're uh, rolling out usidentitypreserved.org, which is a pretty big deal. But why don't you tell the farmer who's listening to this why he should care about what you're doing? Thanks, Willie. Uh, I I think what we've done tonight with uh, this effort to to emphasize the traceability, the identity preserved, segregated commodity market is start to have a language uh, that we can all work on with the buyer about why they should pay more in the value premium market. Uh, The United States so far hasn't really had the 
the uh, educational tool, it takes to convince a buyer to move out of the commodity market and, and pay more to get the higher price premium crops. We're trying to create a language here to talk to the buyer to make this decision. But if you do that, you're bringing to the buyer, you have to bring the buyer value that they don't perceive out of the, that they perceive beyond the commodity right. crops. So I mean, how do you tell that story? Our, 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 and again, our job is to do that so we can bring the higher premium price back to the grower. So it's a matter of, of, of talking to them about that this is the value that adds value, that <laughs> making these choices uh, allows them to be more efficient and allows them to plan ahead. There's nothing done on the spot market with these specialty crops. It's forward contracted. For the grower, that means uh, specifications to grow to uh, and a partner to sell to, but the assurance of knowing they're going to get a premium price from a premium product. I mean, the, the one thing we know about high prices is eventually they're low prices again. And these premiums uh, matter on, on the bad days, and they matter on the good days. Yeah, I mean, two to three bucks on $12 is just as good as two to three bucks on $9. That's right. <laughs> it, you know, and, and, and that's what we're trying to talk about. Um, I, I think that this is going to work, that, you know, we've done the research. Uh, that's available at usidentitypreserve.org, that uh, we've talked to foreign buyers. Uh, we've talked to our our supporting organizations in the soy industry and the grains industry. We know that um, when people make the choice, when buyers make the choice to go after a premium product, our focus groups show that they're 100% satisfied with what they get. Hmm. You used a phrase in introducing this tonight, um, phrase you reverse you turn the tables on a phrase we often use in agriculture you are talking fork to farm that's right it's because the segregated crop market is really the way the the consumer can communicate directly with the grower that's what we're talking about that um see ip identity preserved is a constant flow of in the transaction it's sharing samples uh, uh uh, back and forth across the ocean, uh, abroad to your customer, and uh, getting their feedback back about how you, how you're doing and what they'll do better next year. So, with your organization, SSGA, um, how, what role do you play in this USIdentityPreserved.org? Are you accrediting stuff, or are your members accredited? How do you verify to the buyer in Asia that that bean is what they thought they were getting? So we have a, a strong quality assurance plan, a third-party verifier that's going to uh, provide the technical assistance if needed or provide the monitoring and oversight that's needed to make sure that uh, companies are keeping to their specifications. And it's in the company's interest to do that because now in coming together, we will have a common language to talk to the buyer with about the reasons to pay more across a whole industry. Uh, we're doing this because we've been asked to. Mm -hmm. uh, we've heard from these U.S. Mm -hmm. companies that there as yet hasn't been a language that helps them convince someone that it's, that, uh, it, it's worth paying more uh, for better crop. One of the changes that's happened since March of 2020 is the consumer is suddenly very interested in where their food comes from. How do, you, how do you play in this game that is changing the, the kind of the rules of the game for global buyers? Thanks, Willie. Uh, you know, the consumers are in the driver's seat. Uh, that, that, that means uh, the identity preserved industry is uh, perfectly positioned uh, to be of value. Uh, 
uh, I think what we know is that um, consumers want the quality assurance uh, with an identity preserved plan the buyer and seller can create a seamless uh, assurance uh, a seamless plan working together uh, to deliver that benefit to the consumer and they can change it so uh, if the consumer is looking for a slightly different flavor a slightly different taste you simply work with your supplier to find or, or find another supplier who can who can manage to make that change with you with you identity preserved is the way we work with the food manufacturer to uh, deal with the dynamism in agriculture okay now a lot of the beans right now it's more into southeast asia or asia but isn't this becoming a global issue it is and uh, it's very attractive inside the united states Let, let's remember that um as uh uh, as uh, tastes and preferences have been have been scrambled, and there's more interest in in a variety and diverse uh, food base, you, you know, people are are eating uh, more and different foods. Uh, those more and different foods come now from a diverse crop system, uh, a crop system that needs to grow in the decommoditized space. Well, it, it's an interesting area. It's an effort that's we've been talking about IP for a long time, Eric. Um, what what makes this different? Is it just fi finally bringing a lot of the pieces together that have been kind of disparate over the years? That's right. IP has been around a while. Uh, I think what we've done is work harder to create the language to give the companies a solid platform to talk to the buyer with. We're not really after those customers who are using IP now. We're after we're after that uh, food manufacturer that might be using a different item to ask them to pay more for something better. That's what the U.S. companies have asked us to do. There are, are, are many countries on, uh, whose uh, populations are demanding a, a diverse food supply. They're the ones we're trying to talk to. They also want to go all the way back to the farm. They want to know where it came from, right? That's part of this whole process. That's right. Mm -hmm. And because it really does get back to the grower. You know, everything we're doing is of high quality. We're just trying to emphasize those farmers who are making the effort, to the, the extra effort to, to blow out that auger or report their growing pattern and uh, separate their storage in a, in a, in a separate system. Uh, that, that they have a market, that, it's a, that the companies are looking for contracts. I mean... Um, this is the segment of the market that doesn't meet demand every year. So it's in a growth trend. That's interesting. So the other thing about this and the change that's probably happened over the last decade is I have a lot more information that I can share from my farm than I used to have. Whether I'm using um, John Deere or Granular or FieldView, I, have, I can verify practices on my farm. How does that come into play with this? Well, I mean, from the 90s to today, the information we're taking off farms and through bins and through transportation uh, is better than it ever could be. Uh, our food system gets more complex. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Tastes and preferences change. We're, we're, we're adding value to food in, in, and in flavor and taste in, in uh, cultural expression uh, that, that we haven't reached. We can't do that with the same agriculture. We have to do that with the leaning ahead agriculture. So one of the things about this is when we think of we think of soybeans, for example, specialty beans, and I'm sure you're going to work with more than soybeans, but soybeans are where some of this starts with, um, with this program. 
we think of food grade beans as not being that big a player in the market because they're less than 10%. Well, they're less than 10% of the volume, but they're more than what, 16, 18% of the value of the beans that are sold? Isn't that how that works in our market? And is that something you want to build on? Well, it really does depend regionally. Right. Uh, there are parts of the country where that's true. Overall, the acreage is about 5%, but it's 10% of the value okay. of exports. Okay. So, um, but that's not, but there are states like uh, Michigan and Minnesota, North Dakota, Iowa, Illinois, where those, um, uh, those numbers are much higher. I mean, frankly, uh, in, in Minnesota, uh, this uh, market segment is uh, critical to uh, a million acres of farmland. Wow, that's amazing. Corn and soy. That's great. Corn and soy. So, Eric, what's your background? Where'd you come from? Because you haven't been the, the boss this long. <laughs> yeah, the uh, SSA is about two and a half years old. I grew yeah. up in Wyoming. Okay. Uh, uh, served in the U.S. Foreign Service for the U.S. Department of Agriculture abroad. Great. Uh, and um, uh, retired from there to, to move to, to this effort after government. But you do know, I mean, that gives you global perspective that not yeah, everybody not, has. Yeah, there's not really any place I can land in the world where I can't make something happen. It's been a great benefit. Look, re representing the U.S. farmer abroad for years and, and working on this effort is the dream of a lifetime. I mean, um, imagine uh, everything coming together. Uh, but let's be practical. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not sure in, in the... In the 30 years I've been watching and working in ag that I've that I've seen such obstacles. Margins are under incredible pressure today from the supply chain, from inflation, from uh, from the high cost of fertilizer. I mean, we know our growers are looking for anhydrous ammonium, aren't aren't they? Yes, yes, they are. <laughs> so that makes this more important than ever. If we can convince the consumer convince uh, the buyer uh, to reach for that premium crop, uh, we can maintain these margins. And that's what our goal is. Fantastic. Well, Eric, thanks for your time. Thank you, Will. Many thanks to Eric Wenberg with the Specialty Soya and Grains Alliance for his information about U.S. identity preserved and what it might mean for your farm. In a global market, the consumer is still king. If you want to know more, you can visit usidentitypreserved.org. Farm Progress is the nation's leading agriculture information source with 17 state and regional brands, as well as farm futures, beef, national hog farmer, and feedstuffs, and our events that include the Farm Progress Show, Husker Harvest Days, and the New York Farm Show. Before we go, I want to alert you to two special events to consider for your calendar in January 2022. The Farm Futures Ag Finance Boot Camp and the Farm Futures Summit. Boot Camp runs all day January 19, and the summit runs January 20 and 21. We're in Iowa City, actually in the same hotel facility we've been in before. It just changed its name to the Hyatt Regency Coralville Hotel and Conference Center. You can learn more about the program, what's on hand, and the initial agenda with speakers and more at farmfuturesummit.com. Visit the site and consider registering to be on hand in January. Join us next week as we continue our agriculture journey around the country. I'm Willie Vogt, Editorial Director at Farm Progress. Thanks for listening.